Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast, a show created to be your go-to source for straightforward retirement advice. Best of all, it is presented in a language that you can understand. Are you ready for some straight talk on retirement planning without all the fluff? Well, you found the right podcast. Here's your host, certified financial planner, Greg Gonzalez. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. We've got a great episode lined up today. This is a listener question episode. This is long overdue, long, long overdue. So I really hope you'll enjoy these listener questions. I've got a long list and I did not arrange them in any category or that kind of thing. They're just kind of going to be rapid fire and random. One may talk about Social Security, another may talk about 401k investments, and everywhere in between. And this is going into the third year of the Retirement Made Easy podcast, so I get a lot of questions. I I get to have a lot of conversations with not only podcast listeners, but even people here in, in St. Louis, Missouri. That's where my office is located, and I use some of those questions as well, and a lot of those people become podcast listeners. And then aside from that, kind of something new for... Well, I guess it started at the end of 2022 here in St. Louis. I I do have a TV program, Retirement Made Easy TV show. So that's, you know, roughly 30 minutes. So that's been a lot of fun. And my idea there is to kind of go hand in hand with the podcast. I can use questions from podcast listeners and from TV show listeners, and, and we can kind of help one another. So if we can get questions and interaction across the board, That'll be a lot of fun. With the TV show, it, it has been a little challenging building that out, talking you know, for 30 minutes straight, and I believe there's eight different episodes, so that's four hours of talking about fun retirement planning. But what has really made it easy is I'm getting so many questions from clients and, and podcast listeners that I can use those questions on the Retirement Made Easy TV show as well. So there's actually a segment of listener questions there. And I've incorporated that into the show. And for all the people out there wondering, hey, where can I submit my questions? Well, some people email them, some people call with questions. But on my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com, at the very bottom, there's a section that you can fill out. It's an online form that says, ask Greg a question. And you can submit your question right there. That's where a lot of people submit their questions. And while you're on the website, you can sign up for a 30-minute complimentary retirement coaching call. You can download my free retirement planning resources. You can listen to all the the past, I believe like 139, 138 previous episodes. It's all right there on the website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. Like I said, we're going into our third year of the podcast. We started it in 2020. So this summer will be kind of the three-year mark. That just goes to show you how fast time flies. About three years ago, this microphone that I'm talking into is when I purchased it. It seems like it was yesterday. So I've got questions for this episode, not only from people emailing in and going to the retirementmadeeasypodcast.com website, submitting their questions, but I also have questions that clients have called in with, have emailed in with, meetings that I've had with people that questions have come up. So I've got a variety of questions. I mean, I've probably got 30 in front of me. And to kind of keep it entertaining, I'll try to get through as many as I possibly can in in 20 minutes. So let's go ahead and get started. The first question, and I have had people not only email about this, but call about this, and it's come up in a couple of meetings. 
But for those people that hadn't heard the news, President Biden did veto his first bill, blocking it from becoming law. And it was in in regards to the ESG when it comes to like your 401k and employer-sponsored retirement plans. And ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. Now, I make it very clear, I don't get political on the podcast. There are plenty of other outlets where all they do is talk politics all day. Uh, that's where you can go for that kind of stuff. But what this, the question that clients and listeners have had about this, you know, this veto is, will this apply to my Roth IRAs, my brokerage accounts? And the answer is no, this is only going to apply to your 401k and employer sponsored retirement plans like 403bs and that kind of thing. Now, formerly under Trump's law, he did not want ESG investing to be a part of that plan. He wanted the fiduciary standard looking at returns and costs as the primary factors that they were considering. So if you want to learn more about this bill and how it might apply to your 401k plan, just Google Biden first veto or ESG veto. You'll be able to read you know, article after article after article on this discussion. I'm going to stay out of this one so I don't get emails from people. But one fun fact is I, I think it was Fidelity that came out and said of all the 401ks out there, only 5% of them have ESG funds currently. But that's probably going to change, especially when you got companies like BlackRock, which is the largest asset manager in the world, kind of taking the ESG charge. And one final thought on this whole discussion of how this would impact 401k plans. This is just an observation of anything. I get to review a ton of people's 401k, 403b, 457 plans. So I get to see the investments that are available inside of these plans. Sometimes I'll even run into a 401k plan that's like completely open architecture which seldom do I run across that, but but I certainly have before. And I have seen the worst 401k plans, the best, and everywhere in between. And I'm amazed with how bad some of these 401k plans are as far as the selection or choices or menu of investment options that some 401ks have. It's unbelievable how terrible some of them are. And others on the flip side can be very, very good. And I have said this over and over and over again, the Secure Act 2.0, why don't we standardize these 401ks and at least make the playing field even for people? And okay, if some 401k plans have the Roth option, the Roth 401k, then every plan should have the Roth option available in the 401k. You shouldn't be working for a company and they don't offer the Roth 401k, whereas your spouse works for another company and they do offer a Roth 401k. If they could just get some consistency, I think it would make people a lot happier. All right, next question, switching gears entirely, was about Medicare Part B and the IRMA tax. And this was a long question submitted through the website. So I'm just going to paraphrase to save us all a little bit of time. And most of all, I want to make sure the listeners all understand this concept. The listener is writing in saying that her husband had applied for Medicare, is now 65, and it turns out his Medicare Part B premium is a lot higher than expected. Why is this the case? She was under the impression that it was going to be $165 per month, which would reduce his Social Security benefit, and the Medicare Part B comes right out of your Social Security benefit, and that covers 
80% of your healthcare costs. And then he would get a supplement plan. Maybe it's a part G or a part F, and that would cover the other 20%. Why is his Medicare premium so high? That is what this listener wants to know. So it sounds like a husband is turning 65, eligible for Medicare, and surprise, surprise, your social security benefit, assuming he was collecting this benefit before he applied for Medicare. And so let's say he was going along, going along and collecting his social security benefit. All of a sudden his 65th birthday hits and he's applying for Medicare and they start reducing his social security benefit by a lot more than was expected. Well, the reason being to the listener is because they look at it's income based. So the amount that you're paying for Medicare Part B premium is based on your income two years ago. So when essentially your husband was 63 years old in that year, that tax year is what they would look at. And I bet if you went back and looked at taxes for earnings for two years ago, you would find that you were over the limit and see where you fall in the table. And that dictates the premium that you're paying today. And a lot of people don't like that because they feel, how can my income at 63 impact what I'm paying as a Medicare Part B premium when I'm 65? That there's a two years difference. Well, that's just the way it's calculated. You can go and appeal that. There's a special form. Go to ssa.gov. This is something that your financial planner, your retirement planner can help you with this form as well, especially if if they know what your income was and, and they should very well know if you've been working with them for a number of years, they would identify this ahead of time before it becomes an issue and file that appeal form. And that'll lower that Medicare Part B premium. So I hope that helps. It's a great question, by the way. The next question was about Roth SEP IRAs and Roth Simple IRAs, and the listener wanted to know why they couldn't contribute to their Roth SEP IRA yet. We are already in the second quarter of 2023. Why can this person not contribute to a SEP Roth IRA? Well, I'll try to include the Secure Act 2.0 episode in the show notes where you can go back and listen. But this is one of the aggravations, if you will, that I had with the Secure Act 2.0 in announcing, oh, this is what we've come up with, allowing Roth simple IRAs and Roth SEP IRAs starting January 1st of 2023. Well, guess what? For all the custodians and administrators out there, there's not like a week turnaround where they can create this brand new Roth simple IRA and Roth SEP IRA. And from all the custodians that I've talked to, they're kind of looking at Q2 or even Q3 before these Roth simple IRAs and Roth SEP IRAs are even available for people. So that's basically what I've been hearing. If you have a SEP IRA or a simple IRA out there, check with the custodian and say, hey, when am I going to be able to contribute to this Roth simple IRA or Roth SEP IRA? And hopefully they'll give you some kind of timeline, whether it's Q3 or even Q4. The sooner the better, I know. Believe me, I got a SEP IRA and I will be contributing to a Roth SEP IRA later in the year as well. I get it. All right, the next question actually was from a conversation with a newer client here in St. Louis, and they actually saw my TV program, coincidentally called Retirement Made Easy, but on one of the episodes, and if you have listened to any of my podcast episodes, you know, the biggest risks of retirement planning, one of them I have been saying for years and years and years 
is the rising cost of living, also known as inflation. And last year, people really felt the pain. I think last year, more than any other year, maybe in the last 10 or 20 years, inflation really stuck out like a sore thumb. And it really impacted people's financial households because just, you know, the grocery bill and utilities, everything was so, so sky high. And especially for all the retired folks out there, they really felt it. But with this guy, it was a husband and wife, and the husband said, you know, how can you help my wife understand the real risks of inflation? We're going to retire at 62, and you talk about on your program, a 62-year-old non-smoking couple, they have a joint life expectancy of 30 years, meaning the second spouse for a 62-year-old non-smoking couple in the US, they're predicted to make it 30 years. So typically, women outlive men more times than not. And so the wife is predicted to pass away at 92. So if we're planning for a 30-year retirement, and we're saying one of the biggest risks is the rising cost of living over the next three decades, his question was, how can I help my wife understand how much inflation is, is going to really impact our retirement over the next 30 years? So there's a couple different things that I wanted to point out. One is, I think you fall into the trap when you're thinking about a 30-year time frame. In other words, the 62-year-old is thinking about how expensive things are going to be when you're 92, 30 years from now. So that's 2053. That's a long time away. And you fall into what's called temporal myopia. And you might be thinking, what's that mean? Well, it basically means that the brain just finds it hard to imagine something that is just so far in the future. Something far, far away just seems less real. I mean, just think about it. like a 62-year-old, imagine yourself 92 years old. With something that far away, it just seems just not even real. So that's the whole idea of temporal myopia. And when it comes to 30 years of rising living costs, I think the best thing to do is maybe look back 30 years and to remember, okay, how were things in 1993? And that's the best gauge of how the next 30 years are going to go. And it's a gauge. I'm not saying the last 30 years, it's going to be a repeat of the next 30 years. It doesn't work like that. But History is the best guide, and it's the only guide we have. So let's look back 30 years. And I know this may sound kind of peculiar, but I'm always interested in, in what things were like 30 years ago so I can help teach clients. Like if you look at the price of a stamp, in January, the price of a stamp went up to 63 cents. Well, the price of a stamp 30 years ago in, in 1993 was 29 cents. Look at minimum wage in 1993 was $4.25. $4 Look how far we've come. Think of the price of a new car in 1993. What about the price of a Big Mac? If you've got some time on your hands, you can actually check out the Big Mac over history and how the price of it has gone up and up and up and up. And you can compare that to inflation. And many people remember what, what was the, the cost of college tuition 30 years ago versus the cost of tuition now Versus how much, if you have grandchildren or will have grandchildren in the future, what is the price of college tuition going to be for them? I can tell you it's going to be a lot, lot higher. If history is any guide, and I will argue it's the only guide we have, prices will continue to rise over time. You can count on it. So you need a retirement plan 
that expects that and plans ahead knowing that those rising living costs are going to be with you throughout your retirement. It's one of the biggest lessons you can learn. So that's a great question from a, a new client. All right, next question. I actually got a, a message. This was an email message or a website message from a guy that said, I want you to tell me how to invest my Roth IRA and my 401k so I'm all set up for retirement. He said that his current portfolio needed a tune-up really, really badly. And I love that phrase, by the way, it, his portfolio needed a tune-up. So I called this guy and had a nice conversation with him. And what I told him was, if anybody gives you financial advice without knowing your entire situation first, run, absolutely run the other way. It's the same thing you know, with your doctor. I had a sinus infection. And I went into the doctor's office and my doctor was asking me all these questions. First, it was, it was the nurse. And are you taking any, any prescriptions? Are you on any medicines? Do you have a family health history of diabetes, of high blood pressure, of high cholesterol? And just the list went on and on and on. They wanted to know if I had gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight recently. They wanted to know what pains I was experiencing or discomfort that I was experiencing. They wanted to know, am I allergic to anything, any medicines that I'm allergic to, foods that I'm allergic to. They asked me if I had any surgeries recently. They wanted to know if I had COVID in the last 10 days. It was just question after question after question to get a full understanding of everything on the table. Because quite frankly, if I would have said, yeah, I'm actually allergic to X, Y, and Z. So there's a lot of different reasons before my doctor was going to recommend the antibiotic for a sinus infection. They wanted to make sure they had a full picture of my health history and, and what was really going on here. So they didn't miss anything and they were able to give me the best advice they could as far as what to do, what to take, that kind of thing. It's the same with retirement planning. You've got to have an advisor who's really taking the time to learn and really understand your full financial situation before they provide any financial or investment advice. And the reason being, let me give you a, a really, really quick example. Let's say I started making investment recommendations to this individual. We'll call him Charlie and said, Charlie, invest this way, do this, save this amount of money. And I didn't realize that he had $50,000 in credit card debt at 25%. Do you see what I mean? Just knowing that, knowing his debt situation, the liabilities that he owed $50,000 in credit cards at, at 25%, well, that's going to change my advice entirely. So you've got it just like you want to give your doctor, your auto mechanic. If I called up my auto mechanic and said, hey, John, my engines make a little noise. What do you think I should do? He would say, hey, you got to bring that thing in. I want to analyze everything. I want to open the hood. I want to do some diagnostic tests on it to see what the issue or issues might be. And then we can kind of talk about next steps, what it's going to cost and solutions. So the mechanic is not going to give me advice over the phone without seeing under the hood, so to speak. So I get that question a lot. As far as, hey, just look at my investments, tell me what to do real quick. But it takes much, much more time and, and care to really do the right thing for people. I just put a retirement plan together for a very, very nice couple podcast listeners. And so far, I have about 18 hours into this retirement plan for them. Now, I, I'm kind of a perfectionist and, and I really enjoy what I do. 
But, you know, when you put 18 hours into something, you really, really get a good understanding and grasp of what is best for a person. Next question, this is uh, switching gears entirely. This is a long email and I actually reached out to this person and I'm still waiting to hear back. But for privacy, I'm I'm not going to give their names, but it goes something like this. Uh, Listener of the podcast, her husband had passed away. He managed the family's money, like 401ks and IRAs and that kind of thing. And upon his death, everything went into the trust. And since the wife who is is writing this email or, or this message said that the now deceased husband's trust names his two daughters and son as the co-trustees of the trust, and they're making financial decisions for the benefit of the mom. And the woman writing this, you know, she's now a widow. She just lost her husband. And what it sounds like here is that the three kids are the trustees and their spouses, there's some son-in-laws here that are trying to manage the money of the trust themselves and invest the money in cryptocurrencies and that kind of thing. And the value of the trust last year was down 38%. What can she do? What can I help her with? Could I be the advisor for this trust? Well, this sounds like a very messy situation because it sounds like the son-in-laws are getting involved. So your your daughters are married to these two guys that I have to think they're, they're trying to help, but they're not licensed financial professionals, just put it that way. And they're stepping in saying, okay, we know how to manage this money of this trust. But again, this is their mother-in-law that is the beneficiary of the trust. So really my advice to this person is go see an attorney, see if there's anything that you can do. It sounds like with the kids being named as the trustees, they're gonna kind of call the shots on the trust. The trust could have named or designated a financial institution or financial planner that was to manage the trust after the husband's death, but it doesn't sound like the trust spelled that out But there should be guidelines that the trust, you know, hopefully there's guidelines of what the trust can be invested in, what kind of income comes out of the trust for the surviving spouse, the widow's benefit every year. But this sounds like a really, really sticky situation. And especially in in my experience, when son-in-laws or daughter-in-laws get involved and then fights can happen and yeah, so I would go and, and see an attorney as soon as possible. One last comment on that is those trustees have a fiduciary duty to do what's right, to do what's in the best interest of the beneficiary of that trust, who is their mother, by the way, for goodness sakes. But there's a lot going on right there. And in an attorney is going to be the, the best resource for you. And that's kind of one of those deals, though, where having a financial planner, somebody that's competent, if something happens to the spouse, like the husband in this scenario that was kind of managing the financial household and making those decisions for the couple, if something happens to them, who does she turn to? And that's really a question. And now she finds herself in a mess. But if she, you know, if they were working as a team with a competent fiduciary financial planner, well, gosh, the the wife would be able to turn to that financial planner and, and of course, be grieving the death of her husband, but would at least have someone that was a part of those conversations all along be able to help and guide her to make appropriate decisions. But I really wish her luck because that's going to be a tough situation to uh, navigate out of. And the last question, it started with an email that somebody sent me, and I went ahead and called the guy and had a 
probably a 45 minute conversation with him. And this guy was a very bright guy, really, really friendly guy too. So I really enjoyed the conversation with him. He was a single guy and, you know, he was really concerned about his social security. And the question came up about being single. There's no survivor benefit. There's no spousal benefit. And he had a hard time kind of coming to terms with this. He said, you know, I've been paying into social security. He's been working for 39 years and paying into social security. And he said, you know, if something happens to me, he says, if I delay my benefit until my 70th birthday, and I've been paying in and paying in for all these years, and and as a single guy, if I die, what is there a little measly death benefit that social security pays out? And if I die before I ever collect my social security benefit, all that money that I had paid in over the years is essentially gone. And he just had a hard time coming to terms with that. But yeah, just, you know, hypothetically, if somebody paid in for 39 years and and never collected a social security check and they were they were single, there's no residual value there. And a lot of people don't think that's fair, you know, including this nice guy. Um, And so what we had talked about is, you know, some strategies he could always claim early and he could suspend his social security benefit later on. And so that was a strategy that I wanted to mention to podcast listeners is is you can always start your social security benefit and you have within 12 months of starting it, you can cancel or withdraw the application and pay back what you had received. And that's not what this gentleman would do, but but that's an option. But you can suspend your social security benefit once you hit full retirement age. And so like hypothetically, he could start at 62 and claim his benefit all the way up to his full retirement age of 67, and then suspend the benefit at 67, and then let it defer at 8% and turn it back on at re-engage, so to speak, at age 70. So that is an option if you felt like at least you wanted to get your money out of Social Security that you had paid into it, you know, if you were a single person. So just another strategy. There's a ton of different strategies that people can use in retirement planning. And I figure I'd mention that conversation I had with that guy. Very, very nice guy. I really enjoyed the conversation with him. Gary, thanks for listening to the podcast. Hey, I hope this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast has been helpful. Please don't be shy. Send me all your questions at retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the very bottom, there's a question box, and then feel free to sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching meeting with me right there on the homepage. I'll see you next week, and remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart Investor program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor Smart Investor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk including loss of principal. No 
strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member of FINRA, SIPC. Thank you for listening to the show today. Check us out at our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And if you want some help from Greg, submit your questions at the bottom of the page or sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching session with Greg. We'll see you next week.